Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Christine Yin and Dr. Justin Burrow, who are residents at the Nassau University Medical Center, Stony Brook University in East Meadow, New York. Christine is a fifth-year resident. She's originally from Alhambra, California. She completed college at UC Berkeley and medical school at the USC Keck School of Medicine. Her academic interests include hand and diversity and inclusion in plastic surgery. Justin is a second-year resident. He's originally from Dix Hills, New York, and he completed college and medical school at George Washington University. His academic interests include tissue engineering, breast reconstruction, and cosmetic surgery. Christine, Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Good to be here. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of a broad overview about your program. We are unique in that we have three parent institutions. Stony Brook University, which is a academic medical center, and then Nassau University Medical Center, which is our county hospital, and Long Island Plastic Surgical Group, which is the largest private practice plastic surgical group in the country with 23 attendings currently in the practice. And all three of them have equal stake in our program. And so I would say the most unique thing about our program is that you leave this program knowing exactly what kind of practice you want out of plastic surgery because we get exposed in equal amounts to a academic practice, to a kind of public practice, and to a private practice, whether it's private microsurgery, private craniofacial, private hand, and and anything in between that you can imagine, anything that's affiliated with a hospital-based practice. And so you leave with complete clarity about the pros and cons of each kind of practice, and you know exactly what you want. How many residents are taken per year? We match one integrated resident per year, and we take two independents per year as well. So we have a total of six integrated residents and six independent residents for a total cohort of 12. Can you break down for me for the integrated residents, like how much plastics experience you get over the first three years? Sure. So as our, as is sort of the trend with most of the other integrated programs, your first couple of years tend to have a lot of general surgery mixed in to teach you about how to be a surgeon before becoming a plastic surgeon. I would say ours has a very nice mix of general surgery and plastic surgery the first year. It's divided up into 13 four-week blocks. Uh, 11 of those are non-plastic surgery rotations. Two of them are plastic surgery. And then as you go on through the years, second year, you end up doing a little bit more plastic surgery. And third year, it's about half. While you're not on plastic surgery, you're spending a lot of time on general surgery, as well as some of the other off-service rotations, such as orthopedics, anesthesia, dermatology, emergency medicine, oculoplastics, which I am currently on myself. So you get a pretty broad exposure to the field outside of plastic surgery, but you definitely get a hefty amount of plastic surgery. How many months do you get in your second year? In the second year, you get a total of uh, five months. And what would you say the experience is like when you're on some of those non-plastics rotations? The experience, at least for me, was generally fantastic, actually, I would say. Uh, They treat us very well. 
the general surgery residents treat us like we're one of them. They don't treat us like we're outsiders. They don't treat us poorly. You know, they obviously recognize that we're not general surgery residents and might be a little bit more careful with us, but they, they treat us very, very well. You end up becoming really good friends with some of these residents. And then on some of the other months, like orthopedics, you end up taking part in their skills month, which is essentially a month filled with a cadaver lab or some kind of sawbones-based lab every single day for an entire month. And they treat you just like they would any other orthopedic resident. They hand you a cadaver, they hand you a sawbones, and they let you go to work. You're very much immersed in every single one of those rotations, and they treat us far better than I ever expected. That sounds like a really unique experience. Is that something every plastics resident gets to do, the like orthos-focused skills month? Yes, that is a integral part of their first year, first year for the orthopedic residents, and we get to take part in that month with them. And so you mentioned those kind of three main you know, institutions that house the residency program. How do those relate to the different sites that you rotate through? So Stony Brook is our main academic center. And when we're on our Stony Brook rotation, which is about a third of the time during our residency here, we're only at Stony Brook. And then another third is at the county hospital. And when we're at the county hospital, we're at the county hospital full time. And then the last third would be our outpatient private practice rotation. And that we do with all of our 23 WIPS attendings. And we go wherever they go to operate, to kind of try on the day in the life of a private practice plastic surgeon. And so I have about 12 different badges in my car right now. They're all within reasonable driving distance because they all practice in the same kind of area, but a ton of different sites. There are two main owners of healthcare providing sites on Long Island. One is Northwell, and they own a bunch of different satellite hospitals that we rotate through. And then one is Catholic Health Services, and they have a bunch of different hospitals under their wing, too, that we rotate through. So it's all kind of one onboarding system, but we have different badges for each site, and we go wherever our attendings go. At least for those off-service rotations that I was mentioning that you, you experienced during your first three years, those are primarily all at Stony Brook. When I say one-third, 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 that's for the senior years. Our first three years are primarily at Stony Brook. And where do you get most of your PEDS experience? There are some at Stony Brook, and that's primarily for the more senior residents, obviously. But some of the more simple procedures like syndacles, polydacules, those can be done with the more junior residents. And then we get some on our outpatient rotation as well because we do have private practice craniofacial surgeons within our group. And then we do a lot at the Northwell Hospital, which is one of our sites that we rotate through during our fifth year. I think it's important to point out that Stony Brook has technically an entire separate entity known as Stony Brook Children's. You know, they have entire floors and almost an entire building devoted to pediatric care. So we get a lot of exposure to operating on, on those pediatric patients, be it clefts or craniosynostosis or what have you. Can you tell me about the relationship between the independent residents and the integrated residents? We're the same. Uh, once we reach years four, five, and six, we're considered a three-person class. And the year is divided into three rotations, so we just rotate through them independently. And so there's not, no competition. There's no feeling like someone's stealing cases because in years four, five, and six, we're considered a three-person class. Everyone's equal. Three rotations, we all rotate through. And so there's no issues. 
I've never felt like even, you know, as a two, and so I'm not part of that three-year class, I've never felt like they and I are different. We operate in the same realm. We treat each other the same. I definitely lean on them heavily because they're general surgery trained and a good source of advice in terms of just how to manage patient care, you know, being a PGY2, and they're at this point now PGY6, 7, 8, but we are one and the same. And it's very easy for us, and it's very easy for the attendings to forget kind of who's an independent, who's an integrated. Do you work with any fellows? At Stony Brook, sometimes there is a hand fellow in the hand cases, but I've never had an experience where I wanted to do that hand case, and I was not allowed to go because the fellow was there. We don't have microfellows or craniofacial fellows or breast fellows at any of the other sites that we deal with. There is a burn fellow at Numic who runs our burn unit, and he's essentially the primary point person for the burn unit. The burn unit is run by the plastic surgery department. It's run by specifically two of our attendings out of the private practice group, but he is more a asset than he is any, anyone that would be taking away anything from us. He offloads a lot of the burden that running a burn unit can be, so he's really good to have around. And Whenever there are burn cases, we are welcome to join them. He often asks for help. If there are burn reconstruction cases, we are absolutely there. It's like a really good setup for us in that the burn reconstructions are considered primarily plastics cases, so we get those as our primary cases. But the acute burn reconstructions, like the skin grafting excision, are considered burn cases, so we are kind of secondary to that. And we get so much burn in this program that the fellow is welcome. Like, please, please do this case. And what's the mid-level support like at your different sites? At Stony Brook, we have a core group of PAs. They each have a physician that they are hired under, but we all work together as one team. They do more of the administrative tasks, such as booking cases making sure consents are done, making sure the pick sheets are right, setting up for the cases, and we get to do the case. There's even a floor PA that handles floor pages, consults, that when all of us are scrubbed in the OR. At Numic, the county hospital, zero mid-level support, as you'd expect for a county hospital. And then during our outpatient rotation, the LIPS Long Island Plastic Surgical Group has a ton of PAs, each with their own attendings, who know what the attendings want know what the patients need afterward, know the orders that they like. And so they help with those, but I've never felt like they box me out of a case. They're more than happy to have you there, to have you help and do the case and kind of be your friend actually and have a good time with you in the OR. Are there opportunities for electives, either ones you would choose within your institution or opportunities to take like a month or two and go somewhere else? No. And we don't need that because A third of our year is on an ambulatory type rotation where there are 23 attendings and only about four or five of us on the rotation at any given time. And so it's just impossible for us to cover every single case that the attendings are doing at any given time. And so there's a lot of flexibility within that rotation to ask for more of what you want and what you don't want, kind of shape it into what you want it to be. So it's kind of like a built-in elective rotation every third of the year. And it's in the like four, five, six years? Yes. Twos and threes, yeah, also get to do that rotation. I had two months this year. I think I'll have three months next year. I could totally speak up potentially next year and say, I don't feel like I saw a lot of this last year. 
can I see more of this? And Dr. Simpson would absolutely allocate some time to make sure. Are there opportunities for any like short-term global outreach trips? Yes. Both groups at Stony Brook and at LIPS, we have attendings that do global surgery outreach. Obviously, that has been curtailed by the current pandemic. But Dr. Dagum at Stony Brook goes to Ecuador and China. And I had actually plans to go with him during my fourth year. April of 2020 obviously didn't happen, but he is happy to take a resident. And the chief class that just graduated last year, one of them was able to go before this all kind of blew up. And so, yes, opportunity to do that, but you have to use your vacation time or your banked off time to be able to do it because somebody has to cover for you here while you're gone. We've already kind of talked about the cosmetic experience in terms of you get a lot of time with those private practice attendings and can choose to see mostly cosmetic during that time if you'd like. Anything else to add about that? And or do you have like a resident chief clinic in the senior years? So one note about the outpatient rotation is that it's not all cosmetic. We do a lot of breast reconstruction. We do a lot of hand surgery. We do a lot of microsurgery because what I've learned from being in this program is that reconstructive surgery does not equal academic and private practice does not equal cosmetic. And you can have any kind of mixture of the two. So yes, we do see a lot of cosmetic surgery, but our attendings on the private side also do a lot of reconstructive surgery. And yes, there is a resident cosmetic clinic. The county rotation for the chiefs, it is primarily a cosmetic and breast reconstruction type of rotation. The county rotation for the junior, I say junior residents because they're not a chief, but the fours and the fives is generally more focused towards hand surgery. So during our chief county rotation, we see patients pre-op book them for um, any kind of discount cosmetic case and we do them with the attending of our choice. How do you feel about the cosmetic exposure that you do have across the course of your residency? I don't plan on doing cosmetic surgery, so I would say it's too much. And I would say it's a fantastic amount. It's a pretty astounding amount. As Christine mentioned, you know, there are so many attendings and so few of us put on the rotation at any given time that we essentially have our pick. We're assigned cases, which makes it a little bit easy for us. But if there's another case that we want to do, it's ours for the taking, unless there's a specific reason why we're assigned a case. So there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there, and the attendings are very happy to have us in almost every case. They're happy to have a helping hand. They're happy to hand over the bobe, hand over the knife when appropriate, and I think it's very nice. And talk to you about their process, too. They say, I do this because of this. I did this before, and it didn't work out, and now I do this. And so picking that up from 23 different people is pretty invaluable. Yeah, your notes in your phone tend to grow very, very long, very, very quickly, just taking notes on why they do what they do from 23 different attendings. And kind of going off of that, how would you say the program manages that kind of graduated autonomy through the years? Perfectly. We have over with the private side, because we also have independent attendings that are, who are not affiliated with Long Island Plastic Surgical Group who help us at the county hospital and then at the, on the Stony Brook side and then some at, in the different Northwell hospitals, we have over 40 people that we work with and 95% of them will feel you out 
and see how you're doing and give you as much as you're comfortable with or they think you can handle, which is the point of residency. No one's going to expect you to do something from start to finish before you're ready to do it. When I started the beginning of this year for second year, you know, coming out of intern year, I did not expect, you know, once I went on that rotation, that they would give me any kind of autonomy at all, especially given it's a private practice and these are paying patients. But it was pretty, to me at least, surprising how much they allowed me to do given my year of training. But it was also really comforting to see, you know, I don't need to know these attendings that well for them to be comfortable giving me autonomy. And obviously, they'll, they'll step back as appropriate. But they are very willing to treat you like a resident that needs to learn, needs to do this to learn. And they're, they're not very stuck in that private practice. You know, these are my patients. I'm the only one that can touch these patients kind of bubble that I think sometimes private practice can get that reputation for being. It's not like that at all. It's very comforting. Do you get any experience with gender affirmation surgery? Yes. At Northwell, some attendings do bottom surgery sometimes. I have not personally partaken in any thus far because they're more rare than top surgery, but top surgery at Northwell happens once every couple of weeks. And a couple of our attendings affiliated with LIPS, Dr. Anatoly and Dr. Pinsky, and a couple others, Dr. Vera, they seem to be doing them every week. Yeah. And I know they're is a growing push from Stony Brook. I don't believe it's in motion yet, but I know they're looking to hire a urologist. And one of our plastics attendings is very interested in helping with that effort. So there may very well be a whole center at Stony Brook at some point soon. So I know you've mentioned Northwell, and I know there is a, another integrated plastics residency at Northwell. So I was wondering if you could comment on how much you interact with them, and if there are any positives or negatives to having them close by. So they don't really interact with us. That is to say, they don't rotate at any of our sites or do any of our rotations. We go to their primary hospital at Long Island Jewish and North Shore University Hospital for four months during our fifth year to do head and neck reconstruction and some cleft craniofacial cases, because that is where they are very strong. And they treat us like one of their own. They give us the cases that we want to do. And it's very collegial. The relationship we have with Northwell, because it's such a big parent healthcare system that has so many hospitals scattered across Long Island, keeping our door open and going to that Northwell rotation also keeps our affiliations with all the other satellite hospitals active so that when our attendings are operating at these hospitals during our LIPS rotation, we still have access and we're able to go. And so it's not just to get the head and neck and the craniofacial cases at Northwell, but also to keep our access open to all of these other hospitals that our attendings operate at. And the Northwell residents actually don't rotate there because they're so busy at their main two hospitals, Long Island Jewish and North Shore University Hospital. This rotation is more important for the independent residents because that is their one chance to get the bulk of their head and neck reconstruction done. But as integrated residents, we do two months on the ENT rotation during our PGY3 year, and we do a ton of head and neck reconstruction there. So I didn't really need those numbers. And our head and neck surgeon at Stony Brook is very good friends with all of us too. And so whenever we have downtime and he has a reconstruction going and he's very willing to involve us then too. So at our Stony Brook rotation, we do head and neck reconstruction. 
Can we talk a bit about the research experience, both in terms of expectations and also opportunities, such as departmental funding? The expectation is that we start and hopefully finish at least one project a year. It's not a cut and dry expectation that you must do, but we have research presentations every two weeks and two residents present every two weeks. And so it averages out that you're presenting once every three or four months. And so it's kind of a motivation to do something in those three months because you don't want your presentation to be exactly the same as the one you gave three months ago. So that is a motivating factor to do something in terms of opportunities with that many attendings spinning off that many ideas. There are more research projects than residents to do them. And in terms of support, we have biostats at Stony Brook that is funded through the department. We have medical students at Stony Brook who are willing to do the grunt work and help us and a dedicated research lab within the Department of Plastic Surgery with PhDs if you are interested in basic science. And so I would say if your research is your thing, which it happens to not be my thing, there is plenty of opportunity to do it and excel at it here. The opportunities are absolutely there. I would say I was very wrapped up in intern year my first year. I wasn't really thinking about how to jump on research projects. And and most of the projects that I got involved with sort of fell into my lap because an attending just comes up with an idea, rattles off an idea while you're either talking the OR or talking pre-op and just say, hey, do you think we can actually do this? Do you think you'd want to help me out with this? And so I didn't have to go digging, asking attending, do you have any projects? Do you have anything that you need to finish? Start asking the research fellow, anything like that. They all sort of fall into your lap. And that's very much the case for the, the current intern this year. So Research is there for the taking if you want it. And how about once you're ready to present? Any meeting that you get your project accepted to for either poster or podium presentation, LIPS will pay for you to go to. They've saved a lot of money in the past year because of the pandemic, but anytime, anywhere, as long as you're being active and presenting research, they will support you financially to go and do it. Completely, including travel, everything. And that's unlimited? Unlimited. As long as, yes, as long as you're not taking too many days away from clinical duties. If you need to take a Friday afternoon here or there, you can work it out. But if you're going to be gone for like two or three days of working days on on end, those are going to start counting as your vacation days. And are there any particularly awesome perks you'd like to share? No, but we get paid more than most people in the country. So there's that. Yes, we do. We get paid, if you actually look at our pay scale, it's not too far from the pay scale of New York City residencies. And Long Island isn't cheap, but it's not as expensive as the city. So that's a nice little perk. I was told that we get 50% off from the (laughs) Deep Blue Med Spa, but I've never actually taken advantage of that. You don't have time to go get a peel when you have to be presentable to patients the next day. In what area would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in upon graduation? Hand, breast, recon, cosmetic. Those are our absolute powerhouses. We do so much in the academic and the private practice setting for all of them. At the county hospital, we take 100% of the hand call carpels down. So, And we have block time four out of five days in the week. So we're constantly operating and doing hand cases. And it's great. Great for me. Maybe not great for somebody else, but I loved it. 
at Stony Brook, I would say a not all the cases, but a, a large chunk of the cases that we do on our plastics rotation are breast reconstruction. We have one microsurgery trained uh, attending who operates very frequently. We have a tremendous backlog from COVID, so we're doing one deep flap a week now just for breast reconstruction on top of you know other free flaps for lower extremity reconstruction. But I, we do a ton of implant-based, autologous-based breast reconstruction, and that's something that you know, I'm only towards the end of my second year and I'm already sort of feeling comfortable with breast reconstruction and planning and developing a treatment plan and, and potentially even getting in the OR. And since you mentioned call, can you just briefly describe what call is like? So there are three call pools. Number one, Stony Brook, and that is secondary call. There's an in-house primary general surgery team that will take plastic surgery consults and do the simple procedures like a linear laceration anywhere. And they just have to send you pictures and talk to you about it. And so that is the easiest call pool. And that's Q3 or Q4, depending on how many residents are in that call pool. The integrated second and third year are in that call pool 100% of the time, but they're not in there when they're on general surgery or other rotations that also have a call pool because you can't double call somebody. So depending on where they are in the system, Q3 or Q4 when you're on Stony Brook. The second call pool is the county call pool, and that includes the residents on the county rotation and on the outpatient ambulatory rotation because there's no call during ambulatory and you just don't get four free months of no call. So that call pool has five or six residents depending, and it's structured. So the PGY4s take six or seven days of call depending on how many days in the month there are. The PGY5s take five days and the PGY6s take four days. And the PGY6s in that call pool don't take any weekends. And the PGYs 5 and 6 don't take any holidays. So all the holiday call is taken by the PGY4s, the three of them in that class. And we do it because we know that in five and six years, we don't have to take any holiday call. And so that is primary call at the county hospital. Carpal's down for bony trauma to the hand shoulder down for soft tissue trauma to the upper extremity, and then face call as facial lacerations and bony facial fractures one week out of the month, and burn call 100% of the time, depending, because the burn fellow also can't be on call 100% of the time, and so the PGY4s and 5s help out with that call load. The 6s never have to take any burn call because done with that. And then the third call pool is the Northwell call pool. It's when we're rotating at Northwell, and it is primary call, but only for floor pages and ER bounce backs of patients that we have operated on. And then craniofacial call at the North Shore University Hospital. Operative facial fractures only, not lacerations, excluding nasal bone fractures. So it has very specific call. And that is the probably the easiest call because floor pages, you can just line them up and you don't have to worry about them. And then ER bounce backs, very rare, and facial fractures also not happening every single night of the month. And I would just add to the Stony Brook call, definitely re-emphasize the fact that it is a secondary call. So general surgery is being called first. And if, if they need you or they just need to discuss the case with you, they will call you. But if it is a nasal bone fracture that comes in at three in the morning, they're not going to wake you up at three in the morning. They will wake you up at your normal time, five, six o'clock, when they know that you're awake already for rounds, then they'll let you know about that. So that's a very nice 
plus of the call. Again, you do not take any hand call there. It's all plastic surgery call, be it soft tissue or ER bounce backs of, of patients we operated on, or we alternate the days of the week in terms of what days we cover craniofacial call. We switch on and off. It's about 50% of the time. And then also reemphasize the fact that we do not take double call. So next month I am on general surgery. I am only in the general surgery call pool. I am not in the general surgery plus plastic surgery call pool which I was surprised to learn. It's very kind to my schedule. So if next month he's going to be on vascular that entire month, he's in general surgery. He's not in our call pool. And how would you improve your program? Make Long Island smaller so we wouldn't have to drive as far. That's number one. Also, Make Long Islanders stop throwing cigarette butts out the window when they're driving. When you spend so much time driving, you kind of play a game. How many cigarette butts are being thrown out the window during my commute? And it is too many. Re-emphasize make Long Island smaller because it is definitely annoying, you know, driving the distance between, you know, some of these sites, but it's nothing out of the ordinary any program that has any kind of diversity within sites, within cases, you're going to have multiple different sites that you have to drive to. And it's just kind of part of the deal. I actually got a Prius so I can drive in the HOV lane by myself and make it shorter, a shorter drive between sites. So now I'd like to transition and hear about your program leadership. Our program director is Dr. Roger Simpson, and he is a genius of sorts. He is hand-trained, burn-trained, craniofacial-trained, does facial paralysis in addition to complex hand cases, in addition to complex burn reconstruction. So basically, no topic is safe. Also with a little bit of cosmetic sprinkled in there every once in a while. And he's private practice, so he does all of that. Private practice also does elective cosmetic cases. And he is our program director, and he makes the schedule during our ambulatory rotation. He looks at our case logs, and he fills in the deficiencies by assigning us to cases that we don't have enough of. And he runs two recruitment sessions, one for the integrated match, one for the independent match. We had five interview sessions this year. Five for it's just like half his time is probably spent recruiting, and he still manages to be a surgeon and be a mentor and do all that. So he's amazing. And... Whenever I have any issues, I will send him a text and say, can you talk? And he will get back to me and say, feel free to call me. Or sometimes I'll even cold call him and he'll pick up and ask what's wrong. Because usually when I'm cold calling him, I have some kind of urgent issue that I need to discuss. And so it's he's never turned me down before, even if it's for a personal issue and not clinically related. Are there any other site chiefs or is he kind of like the head honcho? of the program. He is the head honcho of the program, but there is a Stony Brook site chief. His name is Dr. Alex Dagum. He is also hand, craniofacial, and burn. That kind of the same person at two different sites. Like they do it all. <laughs> and he has a photographic memory and remembers everything that was ever published about plastic surgery. And he will snipe you during conference with these questions about things that you really have no idea about but he's Canadian so he makes it so nice and he it doesn't make you feel like you're being attacked at all until afterward where you're just like 
wallowing in shame about not knowing an answer to this esoteric question that was published in a Canadian plastic surgery journal in 1980. But he's so nice about it. He's never like, oh, you should know that. He's like, well, one time I was doing this and that's why I know this. And I'm like, well, yeah, we don't all have memories like you. Can you tell me about a time when either either of you or another resident brought up an issue to program leadership and how they responded? So being that this is a new program, we matched our first integrated resident in 2017. We're still going through a little bit of growing pains in terms of getting everything right. But I think we've hit a stride now, now that we're four years into it. The biggest thing I can think of is my third year schedule. The third year, Gabe, who's the chief above me, he did the third year rotation that Dr. Simpson had picked for him and he didn't like it. And so he said, I don't think ER rotations are useful. I think that they should do more ENT and they should do OMFS and they should do ortho tumor to get the lower extremity recon cases. And he basically picked out my schedule for me. And that is the schedule that I did. And it worked so well that that is the schedule that the next two classes of PGY3s have done. And so Dr. Simpson is very receptive and both Dr. Dagum and Dr. Simpson are very receptive to our feedback and our changes about what should happen to improve the program. And we implement it very quickly because we know we're a new program and we have to evolve and change to make sure everyone's getting the most out of it. And he is constantly checking in. Every single time I saw him, at least during my intern year, when we were you know, seeing each other a lot more in person, constant questions about how is this rotation? Do you think this was helpful for you? What did you like best about this rotation? And essentially, all he's trying to get at is, should I keep this or should I get rid of this? But he's also very good at weeding out complaints like, oh, I don't like general surgery because I have to get up too early in the morning and do too many numbers. No, he doesn't listen. Like, you have to do that. Stop being weak. Yeah, w- within reason. But he is very willing to change. I know that even probably as I'm going through it, if there was something that I was dealing with so far, so good. But if there was something that I was dealing with that was absurd or I didn't think was fair, if I brought that up, change would happen almost immediately, as long as I had good reason for it. And now more specifically for Christine, how do you feel like the faculty supported you in your decision to pursue hand surgery and or specifically when you were you know, applying for fellowships? Very supportive. Everyone's very supportive. They all want to see you end up in a place that will bring you success and reflect well on our program. So whether it's finding jobs, we have so many attendings who have connections to different areas, different practices that people have referrals for jobs kind of built into this program. And then for fellowship, the last four or five people I know who applied into fellowship all got pretty much what they wanted because everyone in the program is so supportive. And what kind of a role do residents play in things like uh, choosing new residents, both potentially integrated and independent? We are required to be at all recruitment sessions, but they don't tell us what to say to any of the prospective applicants. It's just us being us. And so sometimes the conversation can derail into like, what came in your Misfits box last night? Misfits is a grocery delivery service that Justin did and convinced me to do. And so now we both have it. Christine did make me try some of my fruits and vegetables during a Zoom chat. He was like complaining about all these different kinds of peppers that he didn't know were in. Like he was like, oh, I've never seen this pepper before. And I was like, well, what better way to find out what it is than to try it? And we were in the middle of an interview session. And that was just that was what we talked about. Anyway, so that's how much role we play. 
we can put in suggestions about who we liked and who we would see fitting in really well at our program, but we don't get to make the final rank list as, you know, we shouldn't, and we don't get to see it. The residents interview as well. I don't as a PGY2, but Christine uh, took an active role in many of the five interviews that we held this year. In their own resident room, there were two resident rooms at every single interview that we had out of the five or six interview rooms total that we had. That says anything about their kind of active role. And although we don't weigh in to the final decision, if there are either, you know, superstars who were like, this person, we absolutely love this person. Or if there was for some reason, some red flag that somehow alerted us, if we brought them up, I am absolutely sure that they would be listened to. The senior residents do some of the interviewing and all we do is we put our evaluations in kind of like a numerical chart and we submit them. We don't actually get to make the final decisions on anything. And how would you say your program helps promote diversity and inclusion initiatives and or helps you develop into a culturally competent resident? So I think that activism can take many forms, whether it's marching in the streets for Black Lives Matter or kind of quietly donating to Black Lives Matter every month because we don't have time to do a lot of the protests, or it can be supporting your local businesses owned by people of color. And so I think the way that we do it best in this program is that we openly discuss it. We almost exclusively support businesses owned by people of color in terms of restaurants when we're trying to figure out where to go eat or where to order from if we're having a resident dinner. And there's also a historical aspect of our education that's built in every week where Dr. Simpson wanted us to talk about someone historical that contributed to plastic surgery so we know the shoulders on which we stand. And a lot of residents have chosen people that fit their own interests. And I personally have only presented on either female plastic surgeons or female plastic surgeons of color and kind of worked that into the discussion about how we need to do more as a species. And it's been received very well. I just, I think that what we do primarily is just open discussion and having open minds and understanding that not everybody's experience is as fair or as privileged as what some of us may have experienced. Can you tell me more about the relationships between the residents? I would say we have pretty great relationships. The only thing that gets in the way of the relationship is the distance that some of us have between where we live. But at least for the integrated one through three, we all live very, very close to Stony Brook. So we hang out very often. The intern is very good at reaching out to myself and the PGY3 to make sure that we carve out some time to get dinner together and just catch up. But we have a lot of fun with each other. We have an active group chat that most often we are talking about work-related things, but we're also just goofing around and having a really good time. We're all good friends, and I don't think there's really anyone in the program that one of us wouldn't feel comfortable just like cold calling and asking for help for whatever reason. And what would be some of the qualities of a resident who would fit well? Can take a joke. Just general good-natured ribbing. Doesn't take self too seriously. That pretty much defines it. But you have to be easygoing, hardworking, willing to put in the hours, willing to help out one another. But you have to be able to joke around. You can't be too serious.
And do you have any experience with international medical graduates or like non-traditional residents that may have not, you know, initially started in plastic surgery? So being that our residency is new and we matched our first integrated resident in 2017. And so he's a PGY3 currently. And so everyone above him has been backfilled in from various other places. And so I started in plastic surgery at USC, and then I transferred to Stony Brook to be with my husband, who is an ortho resident here, just for personal reasons. The PGY-4 came in from general surgery, and our PGY-6 came in from general surgery as well. And the independent residents, they are all general surgery trained. They're all traditional independent residents because that program has been around since 1954. And so it's pretty much ironed out. It's a good independent program and they just match the two residents every year. And so those are all traditional independent residents. As far as you know, is there any discussion about expanding the integrated complement? There has been discussion. Dr. Simpson does not think that he will be doing that in his tenure because he is so busy. But there has been discussion in flipping that to two integrated residents and one independent resident. But that involves creating three extra years of salary line for a resident. And we are paid by Stony Brook and New York State has put a freeze on all kind of resident expansion programs since the pandemic. And so all of that talk has been curtailed. So now I'd love to hear a little bit more about the logistics of how residents live, which I know you've alluded to a little bit already before. Do most people own or rent? It's a little too hard to own on Long Island. Long Island is very expensive, especially with this current massive exodus outside of the city. Long Island is very expensive, but renting seems to be pretty reasonable. There are communities galore throughout Long Island. In which of those communities do residents live? And for anyone who doesn't know Long Island, if you could like kind of orient where those are. Sure. So Long Island is divided up into two counties. There's Nassau County, which is the county that's adjacent to Queens. It is the county that is by far more expensive because of its proximity to the city. Just to give an idea, the furthest extent of Nassau County would be maybe 45 minutes on a train to get into the city. And so once you cross that line, now you're in Suffolk County. Also, the big difference is Garden City, where Long Island Plastic Surgery Group is based out of, as well as Hempstead, where Nassau University Medical Center is, is in Nassau County. Stony Brook University is in Stony Brook in Suffolk County. There's about 30 miles between those two sites. Exactly. And so when you think about the breakdown of the years, I myself in PGY 1 through 3, majority of my time is at Stony Brook. So it doesn't make sense for me to live anywhere in Nassau County. It makes sense for me to live in Suffolk County. So I live in a town called Smithtown in Suffolk County. I know the PGY 1 lives in a town called Ronkonkoma because it's very, very close to the train that leads straight out here an hour and 15 minutes into the city. And then the PGY 3 lives in Port Jefferson. And those are all basically just like a circle around Stony Brook. And then when you move on to, again, in the integrator track, when you move on to your PGY 4 through 6 year, majority of your time isn't in Suffolk County. Majority of your time is in Nassau County, either at the county hospital or at the various hospitals that we cover during our aesthetic or ambulatory rotation. So most people tend to live closer 
to those hospitals and the kind of way the pros and cons of where they live and sort of spread all over depending on what other social factors they have involved. But most people tend to move and I have every intention to move next year somewhere closer, probably like Mineola, which is, again, just talking from distance to the city, about 30 minutes to the city on a train. Long Island, for people that have never been, seems to be this abyss of just like suburbia, cigarette butt, <laughs> aggressive drivers in traffic. And people don't seem to know this area that's in between the city and the Hamptons. So I feel like it grounds you when you realize the distance it is from the city. I could also talk about the distance from the Hamptons if that's more appealing. Is it necessary to have a car? Yes, absolutely. And what's the breakdown of residents in terms of marital status and or having kids? Most people are married because most of our residents are independent and they've already done general surgery and they have families. Exactly half of them. So most people have either studied relationships or are married with children. I can think of three people right now who have children, multiple children, and, and then three others who are married. Meanwhile, in the integrated track, PGY 1 through 4, are not married. And how supportive is your program with residents that, you know, have kids or are planning to start a family in residency? Very supportive. We have six weeks off for maternity leave, which is standard with ACGME. And if you want to plan your rotations around a pregnancy or paternity leave, you are able to do that. Within reason, some pregnancies go unplanned, but you can plan the best that you can. You already made it sound like there is more to Long Island than just being between Manhattan and the Hamptons. So what do you like about living there? I like the variety of things to do. Out east, it's a lot of farmland, fisheries, small town charm, and it's objectively beautiful. There's just parks and nature galore. I like that kind of juxtaposition to kind of a more busy city life in some of the South Shore towns that have a more happening bar scene, food scene, or areas in Nassau County that have a lot of cool restaurants and kind of promenade type setups. So being able to do all of that and have beach access to vastly different beaches on the North Shore versus the South Shore, you don't get bored doing things around the island. So I was born and raised on Long Island only about 20 to 30 minutes away from Stony Brook. But I went away for medical school and college. Uh, I lived in Washington, D.C. And so moving back to the suburbs, to Long Island, definitely was a little bit of an adjustment because it's just so quiet here. But I think it only took me a little, I don't know, maybe a month or two for me to just get used to it and then realize how nice it is to just kind of come home and it's just quiet, it's relaxing. There's so much space. Anytime I have friends that come out here, they, that's all they talk about is how much space I have, how much space there is to just breathe out here. And then, you know, as Christine said, there's so much to do. Beaches, wine country. We maybe mentioned that we, one thing we wish is that Long Island might be smaller. But when you think about how big Long Island really is, there are so many different areas of Long Island that you can explore. You can't possibly hit them all unless that's for some reason your goal, but there's so many restaurants, there's so many places to try. 
again, even growing up on Long Island, there is still so much that I am still just getting started getting to know. There are towns that I've never been to. There are restaurants that I've never heard of. The area is yours to explore, and it's, it's a lot of fun. See our Instagram for close-up pictures of food that we've been eating. So that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Any final thoughts either on your program specifically or on the overall process of choosing a program? I would say that when you're choosing a program, you're not just choosing what will make you the best plastic surgeon you can be. Your life is multifaceted. You have to think about whether or not you'll be socially supported, whether or not you're in an area that you like, you're able to pursue your hobbies. Like you can't just be a one dimensional plastic surgeon and that's your, the only thing that you have going for you. You have to consider all the other aspects of what make you a whole person and a happy person. And considering all of that, if Long Island sounds like a good place for you and our program sounds like a fun fit for you, then give us a consider. I would completely agree. I think there were a lot of things I was weighing when I made my own decision. Initial in the process, I was bogged down in the details. You know, what's the reputation of the program? How many residents do they have? You know, what are the interactions between the fellows and the residents? You know, what was the call schedule? Like all that stuff, which is, you know, important. But I think most important is the fit. And that fit can be broken down into a lot of different things most important to me was how did I feel around the residents? You know, in this era of Zoom, where you can't really get to know those residents on a face-to-face way, it's it's a little bit tougher, but you can still get a feel. You can still understand just the way that, the, that people talk about the program. So definitely echoing what Christine said, recognize that there's a lot more to just residency to being a plastic surgeon than just being a plastic surgeon. You're a multifaceted person. And this program, at least as far as I've experienced, allows you to pursue all those other interests outside of just being at the hospital and being on call and allows you to just flourish as a person as well as a resident. So just find a program that does that for you. If it feels right in the interview day, it's good chance that it's the right fit for you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks so much, Jenna. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.